Wars and Rumors of Wars Reflections on the Modern World Relating to Kindness and Creativity Heat not a furnace for your foes so hot that it do singe yourself is a line written by William Shakespeare. This week I see that most of the writers I follow have pivoted with breakneck speed from domestic infighting to delivering news of war and rumors of wars to come. The essays are hitting my inbox fast and furious in a digital campaign of shock and awe, assigning blame to whatever group the authors despised already last week, but for other reasons. War, what is it good for? Clicks and comments and screen time, apparently. It's becoming increasingly clear that to build a large online audience, one must become either a purveyor of sex or a polemicist. The choice is between narcissism and mild psychopathy, either a stream of lusty and revealing Instagram videos or else daily vitriolic blog posts demonizing the other side, whichever side is currently opposed by one's target audience. Some of my favorite authors have succumbed to this pressure, crafting beautiful 160-character gotcha tweets or snarky one-sided essays, but nothing of length with any substance or nuance. Not all, but some. Lost in the firehose of panic news and acerbic commentary is our ability to truly reflect on anything at a human scale. We are not silicon chips that process bits of information near the speed of light. The time scale of human life is not that of geology or even trees, but it is not so short as a mealworm's either. Yet our circadian rhythms that nature tuned to the turning of our planet, to day and night, and our emotions she tuned to the changing seasons, to birth and aging and death, have been hijacked by social media and a 24-hour news cycle fine-tuned by corporate think tanks to only our hatred and fear. Our attention has devolved. I often wonder if Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci or Wollstonecraft would even be possible in today's world. Could they shut out the noise? Could they focus their attention on perfecting their respective crafts with iPhones buzzing in their pockets? Or would they have left behind only archived Twitter arguments instead of a vindication of the rights of women and worthless bored ape NFTs instead of Mona Lisa or the Sistine Chapel ceiling? I remember visiting Michelangelo's David in Florence. It was larger than I'd imagined from pictures and something about its proportions and pose that Gaze of confident defiance in the memorial eyes made it seem less a statue from the past than a promise of what we might become. It made me proud to be human. But I was struck by two other things. First, waves of hurried tourists came and went while I stood there, too busy posing for selfies with this masterwork to spend any time appreciating it. Second, rather than gazing freely out on Palazzo Vecchio, David was parked behind a paywall next to a display of contemporary art that was absolute garbage, literally. A modern sculpture made of trash cans, a work as forgettable as the gelato cups and panino wrappers the cans had once collected. I've noticed other harbingers of our cultural collapse closer to home. On New Year's Eve, I watched a couple spend an entire dinner ignoring each other and their server because of very urgent tidings on their phones. They did interact briefly to compare entree photos before posting them. Prior to the pandemic, I saw a toddler in the dentist's waiting room burst into tears because she could not turn the picture book page by swiping. Rather than explain what a book is, the mother put down her phone just long enough to fish an iPad from her purse and give it to the girl. This aimless drift in our attention puts immense pressure on writers. If you want an audience, you've got to be relevant. But relevance is not an ideal. 
It's tempting to sling stones, to be crowned a king, but tedious to labor over a block of marble and carve a hero's likeness that is not our own. Who would when we have Twitter blue checks to earn and follower counts to tally up? We found the philosopher's stone and it's a mirror. We honor only ourselves now. I've also noticed a trend among writers to consider themselves possessors of unique wisdom who are on the noble side of history, an innate wisdom, it seems, since few can be bothered with reading history. But who among us would summon the courage to risk the guillotine to write honestly as Wollstonecraft so eloquently did? Not many, I assume. Not me. This divisiveness cannot be escaped even offline. I find it here on the street corners of this quiet island, too. Little proofs of our internecine war games written on the signs of weekend protesters. But life is as complicated and Byzantine as people are. The truth does not fit on pithy slogans painted on poster boards. It doesn't fit in a tweet. But if we persist in boiling things down to slogans, we'll inevitably be left only with the slogans of war. Yes, life is short, but life is also long with enough time to reflect on what it means and what, if anything, is waiting for us when it ends. This is worthy work set before us all, and especially those called to the arts. That is, unless we distract ourselves. It may mean foregoing a payoff of clicks and comments and subscribers, but you'll get no controversial hot takes here. What you're reading now or hearing now is as close as it gets, and probably the last on this line of thought. And not because I lack strong opinions, just ask my wife, but because I'm wise enough to know that my opinions are seldom untangled from my interests, and often wrong. And even when right, they are no more or less worthy than yours. Why should they be? Must it be us and them, then? No, I say. We are all flesh and blood and bone, fallible and feeble, filled with fears and secret longings, uniquely capable among the animals on earth of deceit and cruelty and greed, but we are also given to greatness. And by greatness... I mean goodness. Basic goodness to one's fellows is carved from stuff even harder than marble. The canvas of kindness is worthy of everyone's brush. We might not be capable of painting a Mona Lisa, but I've been to the Louvre to see her smile, and it made less of an impression on me than the smile an elderly woman freely gave me yesterday at the gym, a woman I was disposed to dislike as I passed her on the corner many Sundays holding signs I disagree with. But she smiled and mentioned the unseasonably cold weather, and just like that we were friends. I'm wide awake, I see what's happening to us, and I'm choosing to turn away from the distractions and tend my garden instead. As Paul Simon so wisely wrote, I get all the news I need from the weather report. I'll sink my hands into the dirt, the cleanest form of work. I'll smile and honk at my neighbors on the corner, even when I disagree with their signs. I'll occasionally pick up my pen to plumb the human condition that we all share rather than enlist it in the service of division and strife. It's bad for business, but a mighty buoy for the spirit. Perhaps Shakespeare's furnace would better be heated just enough to warm friend and foe alike. But even 400 years before the internet, there were demands from the audience made upon the stage. And just to be clear, I consider myself unfit to hold Michelangelo's chisel or clean Leonardo's brush, or even sharpen Wollstonecraft's quill, but maybe I can carve out a few words of my own that express something meaningful and real, maybe, but if not, at least I can live a life of peace and goodwill, offering some small kindness to my fellows before I am gone. For me, going forward, 
and from me today, that's enough.